Hey there, you filthy word aficionados. Here's a lightning fast recap of part one of The Princes in the Tower. Eddie Four was King of England, married Elizabeth Woodville, and everybody was pissed because she wasn't noble, but her family had money. Among their children, the ones who would come into play were Eddie Five, Little Richard, and Elizabeth of York. Eddie Four died, leaving his brother Big Richard to be protector slash regent over the new 12-year-old king, Eddie Five. Big Richard wanted more, so he got both boys and tossed them in the Tower of London, then convinced a bunch of people that there were like 30 reasons neither of them could rule. Big Richard ended up being king, and sometime around his coronation, the boys were last seen peering out the tower windows. Big Richard was only king for like three years before Henry VII beat him in battle to take the throne, and to bolster his legitimacy, Henry married Elizabeth of York. To this day, we still don't know what happened to the two princes. On to part two. You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. So, let's talk about theories and suspects. Ah, the crime podcast bread and butter. Oh, oh I love this I'm, part. I'm fairly certain it was Samuel Little. I'm thinking the Zodiac well, Killer. I mean, we just said the same thing, Scott. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, there is, of course, the most popular theory, the one that over history has been the go-to for everyone from your average historian to William Shakespeare himself, and that is murder most foul. So, in this case... King Richard is generally the prime suspect with the idea that he likely wasn't going to dirty his hands with it, almost definitely. And he used one or some of his henchmen. There was Henry Stafford, the Duke of Buckingham, James Tyrell. So we have allies and servants here or like possibly working together in this idea. And the question is, okay, so why? You've got these boys in the Tower of London. They don't really have any ostensible power but they could be used essentially as figureheads and still represent a threat to his throne. They still had many supporters. It wasn't necessarily the boys so much as the idea of the boys and the people who believed in it that were the problem here. And there were tons of rumors during his reign that he'd had the boys killed. And sort of evidence in favor of this is the fact that if people are saying that you killed someone and you didn't, there's a really simple way to disprove that, and it's to show the people the children you didn't kill. That's that's a really, really, it's like an alibi, but even better. <laughs> no body, no crime? All right, well, here we go. Living bodies, no crime. That's never in human history happened. Um, but uh, what's <laughs> really interesting here is it is traditionally at this point that if a monarch has someone executed, even if it is unpopular, you have to display the bodies. You have yeah. to let it know, yeah. this is my rule, this is what happened. And he didn't do that, which a yeah. lot of people point to as, uh, well, that either means they didn't die or that the murder of children at this point is off the table and would lead to a rise up against him. Both of these are good points. Um, mm -hmm. 
I tend to think that murder is a less likely suspect as it is uh, just cutting off their support, letting them starve. To yeah. Death. That's and, true. Which and is, that's... I guess, technically murder. <laughs> it's passive murder, I guess. Murder by neglect, I suppose, or, or murder by intentional neglect. I don't, I don't know. But yeah, I, I, I still say it's, I still say if you let people die by, he would have had to take some actions to let them die as in ordering people to stop bringing them food and sustenance. And by doing those very actions, that still would have made him a murderer. Now, <coughs> Terry Shiver. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. That's a, you know, this is a historical true crime podcast. And even I'm saying that's out of the archives. I don't know why, because it was like in our like teen years and it's, it's, your Not teen brought years. up a lot. Your teen. My teen years. I still remember my the late day... teen or college. When the hell was that? The whole thing with Terry Schiavo almost turned me into a Republican. Wow, mm-hmm. that's amazing. We're not going to get. We're not delving into that. Just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're that. This train is going to going to going to forge ahead because we're in theories and suspects time, Scott, and this is fun. <laughs> say and that. that is depressing. One really interesting thing about this whole idea of Richard III being the murderer or murderer by proxy, uh, you know, conspiracy, whatever, is that there's a good reason that it could be false, and that's propaganda. The Tudors had every reason, being the enemies of Richard III who wanted to take power, to make people think that Richard had killed a couple of children And that especially comes into play when you consider who actually wrote, put into print, into text, this theory. And that was Thomas More. Now, he was a philosopher slash lawyer slash writer slash scholar slash influencer who had been uh, actually five years old when all of this stuff happened in, in 1483. But he would later go on to be chancellor for Henry VIII, uh, fairly, well, you, you probably know him, you, you, you might have met him, uh, who was a tutor and a king and a son of Henry VII, the very man who defeated Richard III and took the throne from him. So that man has every reason to make everybody think that his predecessor was an evil man who murdered children and Henry VIII, his son, has every reason to make it seem, you know, the the same in order to legitimize his rule and that of his father. Now, Thomas More had what he considered reliable sources on this whole affair. He wrote extensively about Richard III in uh, less than glowing terms. The, The Richard III that you might know from history is uh, from Shakespeare's Richard III, which was taken in large part from Thomas More's writings. And Thomas More speculated that the princes had been suffocated using their pillows by some of Richard III's henchmen. And the, you know, the henchmen snuck into the prince's bedroom in the dark of night, which it's a, it's a tower. That's, that could be any time of day. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's what, what Shakespeare went with when he wrote Richard III, or if you've, taken Shakespeare classes from from scholars, deep, deep scholars of Shakespeare, Richard III, which is why I went with like Eddie Five and Eddie Four and everything, because like I have been in multiple classes 
about uh, Shakespeare's writings, and every time they they shorten the plays to instead of like Henry the 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 fifth, they call it Henry five or four, whatever one. It was a long time ago. I can't remember what I learned. I'm so, so close. I called them Hank. <laughs> So this is what Shakespeare went with when he wrote Richard III. Richard's line is, I wish the bastards dead, and I would have it suddenly performed. And he speaks this to Buckingham, who is also one of the main suspects that could have been one of the sort of henchmen who took care of this. But in the play, Buckingham is a little hesitant. So Richard III has Tyrell contracted out to a few other dudes. And then the line that Tyrell comes back with is, the tyrannous and bloody act is done, the most arch deed of piteous massacre that ever yet this land was guilty of. And, you know, being the bard, I'll give him a lot of license, but he's playing it fast and loose with the word massacre. So, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> just saying. Now, more recent research into Moore's sources posits that they may have been pretty close to the actual scene. They could have been the sons of the likely murderer, one of Richard III's henchmen, a man named Miles Forrest and his housekeeper, John Dighton. And also there's the fact that Moore spent a lot of time around the same area as where Dighton was living right at the same time that he was writing about Richard III. So he may have been interviewing Dighton and getting the download dirty details about what happened to the princes. So there's, there's some evidence that, you know, it could be propaganda that Moore was writing for the Tudors. There's some evidence that he could have had very likely sources. Again, really, if you're like me, you look at this and you're freaking torn. I don't know. But many do argue that Richard would have been unlikely to kill them because, as we talked about, maybe he didn't see them as a threat. He had had Parliament declare their claim illegitimate, and he had taken the throne. So, you know, these are just now they're just a couple of boys who he has thrown 17 different reasons why, why their claim to the throne is illegitimate. And he's in power anyhow. So maybe he would have just let them either languish, as Chris suggested, or just not had them killed and something else happened. I think Chris had a point. This is actually one of the things that where I tend to think that uh, every historian in the world is an idiot. Um, if you can, by simply having a preacher on a pulpit, say that they are illegitimate you can very simply do the same thing to declare them legitimate again. Still mm -hmm. has every reason to get them out of the way because that permanently removes them. And what proves this point is the fact that we had uh, Henry VII, uh, not a very nice guy, kind of tall, really annoying, um, very cheap. Uh, he actually wrote a, uh, declare, a declaration that... Richard III's reign, the Titulum Regnus, I think it was called, uh, that was actually uh, then stripped. And so it never existed. And only one copy survived. Hundreds of copies were made, but only one survived. And there was, for like 100 years, like no one knew this. That changed the legitimacy of the princes again. 
all it takes is a declaration. It has to be something permanent. The reason why I don't think he got his hands dirty with it is the very interesting note that uh, we're seeing more and more, less and less frequently at their window bars just because they were wasting away. Uh, and they were British. Uh, and the Brits don't last. Uh, you know, they don't have their lime rickies. They die. And that's an established scientific English fact. That's a <laughs> yes, weird is, prejudice. That's... <laughs> so, yeah, that, that you do they know a what they did. Point. You raise a very good point that, you know, there is that aspect of it. And also, I think the aspect of if you're a savvy political person who manages to sort of wrangle your way to the top, despite all obstacles through through influence and manipulation and, and so on and so forth and whispering into people's ears, then you're likely to know that if you have any direct influence on these children dying like especially ordering people to do it then there's a high chance that that can be used against you and it it still kind of was (laughs) even if he didn't do it so actually having done it would have increased those chances significantly i think maybe if the idea of them wasting away maybe he didn't do it directly by saying you know hey you stop sending food there maybe just reassigning all those attendants and distracting them and or you know like finding you know plush new jobs for them that were an improvement over their current station and then they're not going to think about the fact that there is no replacement coming in so i think that's definitely a possibility yeah it, it, it's it's the, the the whole starvation thing is definitely an idea and and i i, I kind of feel like you know it, it leaves less evidence too heavily in its favor. So, so yeah, that, those are the ideas as far as Richard is concerned. There's also a murder by Henry Tudor, oh, who would become Henry VII after he defeated Richard III, and his mother, uh, Margaret Beaufort. Now, Henry was in a tricky situation as he was trying to grab Richard's throne out from under him because he's trying to boost his profile and get more supporters. And one way he's trying to do this is he will marry the prince's sister, Elizabeth of York, one of the daughters of Elizabeth and Eddie Four. But there's a little bit of a complication here because by marrying her and saying, this is a source of power to me, he's deeming her legitimate. That means he has to consider her brothers as legitimate too, which means he doesn't have as much claim to the throne because they have the stronger claim if they're legitimate. So the theory generally goes that Margaret Beaufort did it. She killed the boys to clear the path to the throne for Henry. And then she would go on to profit greatly from this. Henry got to the throne and she was like just dripping in money and influence and power this she she made she really made hay of the whole situation, and so there is that. But some people do point to some more proof, and that's that fact that we mentioned earlier that Henry had Elizabeth Woodville sent to a convent. Well. <laughs> They might have had a little disagreement over the fact that she might have found out that he killed her two sons. That'll rile you up just a little bit. That'll get your mother-in-law a little bit pissed at you, you know? 
So, um, I, no, I would only go there to poison him. Like, if that were the case, like, that would be the only reason I would see that motherfucker again. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's the thing is he, he may have seen her either as a threat to him if she was vengeful or as a threat to his rule if she was going to be talkative. So one way or the other, if, if, if she found out or even highly suspected that he had killed her two sons, then he might have been like, you know what? Uh, get thee to a nunnery, bitch. So, but that idea really, it didn't come about at the start. That idea of, of, of Henry and Henry Tudor and Margaret Beaufort, it took over a century for people to really be like, hey, what about those two? And then there's questions as to how, how they would have done it. How? How would they ha- any of them have accessed the tower during Richard's reign? And why wouldn't he have tried to point the finger at Richard rather than do what he did, which was really barely ever talk about it? You know, like if he killed the boys and then he easily could have said, well, they were under Richard's care, so it must have been Richard. So I guess I should be king and you guys should all go kill that guy. But he didn't really do that. He, he obliquely mentioned it. He was very vague about Richard having blood on his hands. And so it really, it seems like if, if, if he were to have done it, he would have used the, he would have taken that and, and pinned it on Richard and used it to further advance his cause. Uh, so yeah. And, and how, and also go ahead. And the other thing that actually points to, uh, Hank seven not doing it is that if he had done so, he had already taken the throne, so he had no reason not to. But at the same time, he was still facing an England that was not friendly to him. And a lot of people, you know, have this idea that well, Richard the third was a tyrant, he wasn't popular. No, it was very popular, he was particularly popular in the north, less so in the south. Uh, Henry was very popular in the urban areas and with anyone who didn't want to get killed by his army, uh, which is, you know, an important, important aspect. Had he said, uh, and we'll talk about this later on the survival theories, um, had he said that, you know, I didn't kill the, I didn't kill the princes. I didn't in essence, murder two consecutive Kings, um, he would have easily faced an uprising. The thing that proves it to me, what we'll talk about in survival is when people who purported to be the princes in the tower, he didn't say they couldn't be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You make a really good point there that, that, you know, that there's, a, there's really a lot of things that Henry the seventh didn't do that he might've done if if he had been the culprit and and could you know there's 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 a couple of different ways you can take his his lack of talking maybe he just wasn't chatty um, so then there is the theory of just natural causes honestly the most boring theory but the most honest also very likely I literally have one bullet point um, there are lots of things that can kill you that aren't murder in 15th century England uh, literally just drinking the water that'll do it. It's considered, as far as, okay, so natural causes, killing both of them, 
the odds are a little bit slimmer that it would have killed both boys simultaneously or at least close in time unless it was something contagious. But they would have been also eating and drinking the same stuff that could have affected them, breathing the same air. One servant comes by who happens to have typhoid and boom, it's over, you know? But then, so, then that begs the question, where are they? Exactly. Well, yeah, it, it, it again goes back to that question of if they died by natural causes, you know, why didn't Richard just say so or at least try to pass that off? I, I think when kids were dying constantly, that would have been a pretty easy thing to believe. It would have been probably a smarter move to like have a doctor say these children died of whatever even if they're making it up which it's a doctor in the 15th century they're, they're probably making it up but then to, then to just let those rumors swirl and and rise but then again you know richard iii hadn't heard of the streisand effect so <laughs> these boys died of rickett's palsy and not a brick to the head but <laughs> this actually speaks to something about richard iii's character um uh, I knew Richard III. He was a wonderful human being. Um, but no. Uh, of course you did. Yes. No, what <laughs> the fact is, if you were made protector over the princes and you let them die on your watch, why should you be in charge of the country? Yeah, and if you, that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah, if you add that in, it makes it, oh yeah, well then I guess he probably wouldn't necessarily put it out there. Uh, and especially if they die so close to the point of his taking crane, his taking uh, control. Um, it's highly possible that they died of, uh, let's say, a cold, um, a cold brought on by being smothered with a pillow. Um, and <laughs> he just couldn't find the time when it was the right period, when there was less revolt in the air, when there was less uh, French people coming on and uh, pissing on his yard. Uh, that he just didn't have the chance to actually have a, Oh, it's a great, finally, I can say these guys are dead. Um, it did, did may, may have just been timing. Yeah, that's true. You don't want to bring that up during a tumultuous period when people are already, you know, like starting to be like, well, maybe we shouldn't let this guy be king because that just gives them one more reason. Well, and then after yeah, a while, what do you say? Oh yeah. They died four years ago. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I bricked it off and for, kind of forgot about it for a while. And, uh, oops. I mean, they had mice. <laughs> they could have eaten that. Each mouse has the caloric intake of one pizza roll. Did you know that? So, there is the theory that maybe one or both of them didn't die at all. Maybe there's no murder. There's no foul play here as far as actually, like, offing children. Maybe Richard just sent them away. That way, they're not close enough for anyone to use them to threaten his throne or promote a rebellion and use them as, like, you know, a cause. But he's also not a murderer. He's just, they're, they're just overseas. And overseas is far away in that period of time. Okay, so, like, this legit just happened today. I told Kennedy, I was like, what am I going to do if you're bad? She goes, send me away. <laughs> there you go. There I, you have it. I was like, sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good idea. Yeah, I'm going to do that. So Eddie Five looked up to, I'll do it for you guys, Big Dick, and he said, what are you going to do if I want to be king? Send me away. And Big Dick was like, you know, 
That's not a bad idea. That's a very good <laughs> you know, idea. Is I like... just imagine him like sitting there spinning around his cock like a helicopter. <laughs> like, yeah, hey, you know what? All right. <laughs> I shouldn't have done it. Uh, okay. <laughs> One thing that does this does bring up is let's say you are Dick Three and you go and you are protectoring it, uh, your uh, nephew and... Uh, you want to get him out of the way and you go over to him and you say, Hey, look, you're the King, but right now shit's getting real. We got to get you out of here. We got to get you over to, you know, got to get you out of the four, four over into uh, France or Italy or somewhere where they had a thing and just send him on the way. The single leading cause of death, it would seem in all of that period of time was traveling. Mm-hmm. traitors, pilgrims, they all, so many of them died on their trips. So if he says, you know what, we're going to send you to be protected uh, by uh, the Duke of Milan, uh, like, sure. Uh, and then on the way, you're just hoping they catch a cold. Okay, so now I'm like, all right, kids, so I'm going to send you to tour the world so you understand it better. It'll be fun. <laughs> It'll be super fun. <laughs> this is now evidence, Amber. <laughs> <laughs> we have it on recording. So, one possible piece of evidence that people use to back up this idea that maybe he sent them away is actually Elizabeth's behavior and sort of Richard's too. After the dust settled, Elizabeth was pretty amenable to Richard's request. She didn't, you know, like try to raise up against him. She, she, she did whatever he wanted to do. And she, she really was not an antagonizing force in his reign at all. I mean, not that she had much of a choice one way or the other. She was still a woman (laughs) and he was still a King. So there is that. I didn't want to say it, but it is still, she, she was, she was not necessarily the type to just go along with what a man said, even if he was the king. So generally, I mean, she picked her moments, I think. But she didn't pick any moments during the rest of his reign. So it, it is kind of curious that she just kind of kept quiet, despite the fact that he may have killed her sons. And did so, kill one of her sons, unquestionably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This that throws a whole spanner into even if he didn't kill, even if she knows he didn't kill them, he had already killed one of her sons. So why the fuck would you do that? And there's only one answer that makes any sense to me. Cha-ching! The money. There had yeah. to have been. I think she was living in fear that she was gonna have all the assets of the Woodville seized. And some were. Uh mm-hmm. but with that hanging over your head, when your only real claim to power, other than being married to a monarch who is now dead, is your financial holdings, that's a very, very powerful reason to go along with very, very bad ideas. And that was very frequently used as leverage against the nobility and those with, with big holdings, even those who weren't necessarily uh, n- noble, was the, the the monarchy could just take your shit anytime they wanted and they could do things, you know, they had really almost complete control over your life. 
say you have a, a, a spouse overseas, the monarchy had the, the right to say, nope, you're staying here. You're not going to go visit them even for a week. Nope, you're staying by my side. You're going to be in my court. They had the, the power to decide whether you would be in their court or not. So you couldn't be watching over your holdings and somebody could have come and sweep that shit up or, you know, whatever. So that that was very much, you know, your 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 entire stability in life was based on what you owned and and all of your property but that just really hung by a freaking thread when it came to the monarchy because it was it, they had absolute power. So, so yeah, that's a good point that it could have been fear of losing the, the only thing she had to keep her alive, which was her her assets and her income from those. So yeah, one of the main rumors combined this whole idea of the fact that maybe the boys didn't die from natural causes. With the idea that maybe one of them died and the other one escaped. That was generally that Eddie V died one way or the other and little Richard escaped. Now, from so, what I understand, a- he took the body of his younger brother, hollowed it out, turned it into a canoe and just sailed down the Thames River, if I'm not mistaken. We actually, you just solved the mystery. Yeah. You just solved Thank the mystery. Thank you. History's great. Actually, it's really week, cold everybody in there. had him open, crawled in like a tauntaun. Mm-hmm. Uh, had to wrap them out. <laughs> it's and called I a Prince Duck. It smelled bad from the outside. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Title of the episode is now Prince Duckin. <laughs> Prince Duckin. Yes. Prince Duckin. That was good. So, <laughs> so, yeah. There would be a few guys who would pop up in, in the years after this saying, hey, I'm a prince. Guess what? So first of these is Lambert Simnel. Actually, I want to say before I go into these two guys that I, for some reason, hate both of their names. I have I have strong negative feelings about both of their names. I don't know why they're both disagreeable to me. I, maybe I don't hate them. I strongly dislike. So Lambert Simnel. Don't like your name, dude. Uh, he came around in 1487. He was just a kid. He was presented to the public by a priest who had educated him. At first, they told the public that Simnel was Little Richard. But then they shifted gears and said, oh, no, he's not, he's not Little Richard. He's another little boy who was in the Tower of London who supposedly died. And but actually he escaped and now he has the claim a claim to the throne. And that would be the son of George, he of the butt of wine execution. Okay. So is this the Tower of London or is this Michael Jackson's house? How many little boys are here? <laughs> yeah, it's the Tower of London, but it could be either one way. Yeah. Uh yeah. Lambert Simnel is actually really fascinating for a number of reasons. Um uh, one is that, you know what, when someone raises uh, as a part of an army against you, you have to put them in their place and their place is in the kitchen. That's and, exactly it. Yeah. After he was because he was just a kid, they put him into uh, service uh, of Hank seven uh, being a spit turner. Uh, and I was really I, picturing like the witch with the candy house where she just like throws his ass in the oven. <laughs> yes um, and then he ended, up, <laughs> he ended up being a falconer when he was older and likely had multiple children uh falconers are badass actually that's yes they are that we job have is still awesome 
we live around here uh, in the mountains where there are uh, falconers, and one of them will occasionally uh, lose control of his falcon. He's not a very good falconer. Um, and so I'm always worried about letting the cats out. Hoot, hoot, hoot. Oh, wait, no, that's dogs. Sorry, go on. So that happened. Lambert Seminole, I hate your name, happened in 1487. And yeah, he... he Probably, yeah, he probably did have at least a kid, uh, at least one, died in his 50s, but briefly was uh, calling himself or being called King Edward VI, so that's kind of funny. And that sort of laid the groundwork for what happened again four years later in 1491. Perkin Warbeck, I hate your name, uh, came around with a dramatic tale of his own. He was Little Richard, who had escaped the tower. Now, his story went that two men were sent to kill him and his brother by Richard III. But the one who was supposed to kill him was like, you know, I really suck at group assignments. So <laughs> I'm just going to I'm just going to get you out of here. And off to Europe. And that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to hope that I can at least pull a C plus on this. Because my GPA is like, oh boy, it's a whole thing. So yeah, I'm going to get you out of here. I'm going to get you to Europe. And you'll keep quiet there for a while to keep me from being implicated in this. So that my neck doesn't end up on the block. Now, Warbeck did that for a while. He stayed quiet. He was off around Europe. But in 1491... He came forward when little Richard, who he was claiming to be, would have been 18. And I'm sorry, but the young adult novel here just writes itself. <laughs> Doesn't have a super happy ending, but uh, sometimes you, you can't do that. So he had gone around Europe and he told his story to lots of the big names in Europe. Holy Roman Emperor Maximilian I. James the fourth of Scotland. And he then married James's cousin. So he's really sort of marshalling power here and, and convincing powerful people of his truth. And they believed that they believed him. He even managed to convince an actual blood relative of the original little Richard, his aunt, Margaret of York. She worked by his side to garner support from those in England and over on the continent who would have the power to help him get his throne back. And this idea did gain some steam and his backers helped him build up uh, something of an army. And, but his attempt to attack England kind of fell flat when none of his supposed subjects who were just clamoring for his return, actually wanted to join his cause. <laughs> they were not really like, uh, I believe you and I want to be behind you. They were more like, I'm going to stay here and eat stew. If that's They're like, dude, I'll put up a yard sign, but I'm not going to vote. <laughs> yes, exactly. If you expect me to go door to door, you do you know how busy I am? I am like raising children and they are dying by the day. By the day. And by <laughs> the dozen. Flag. There's a flag, asshole. That's the best I got. Yeah, yeah. There's there's another interesting thing, too, to that. And it is that he was super popular in Ireland, uh, and particularly in Dublin. 
super popular. I mean, they were just, they liked him. And uh, in the same way that Michael Jackson liked uh, him. Uh, <laughs> uh, wait, not the Little Richard. Never mind. But uh, what's really fascinating here. It could be both. That's, that's Michael Jackson, uh, <laughs> at least as deep as I can get in my register. But uh, I think really the key there is that he made the mistake of going to England before he had established himself anywhere else. Had he say, because he did try a couple of times, uh, including in Scotland, and he got some support. But had he say gone to uh, Calais or uh, Dover, or somewhere like that, and actually established a ruling where he would be defending instead of attacking, uh, that would have led him to be a much, much more uh, viable case. Uh, one of the interesting things I love about it is that he was treated less like a commoner than he was like a lesser member of a royal family, though, uh, after his execution. So maybe they knew something that they weren't letting on. Possibly they were all reptilians. Maybe David Icke has been right all along. I think, I think we're onto it. Some, some, we're onto something here. Remember reptilians the reptilians all have wide grins. If you can see the molars, whenever they smile, they're sus. And the reptilians climb into human bodies like they're canoes. Mm-hmm. There you go, so tying it all prince, together. Prince in a uh, reptilian inside a prince inside another prince, all smothered in thetans. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> we solved it, guys. That's yeah. the end of our podcast. Yeah. Thanks Night, everybody. Time. See you next week. Right, Don't forget to write review. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, this is not successful for Warbeck. Uh, or the reptile, he... really. No, for whoever it was. Lost his tail, did, took him a month to regrow it. He did get together a larger army than the first time and tried again, but he ended up in this endeavor being taken prisoner by Henry VII, which is the opposite of what you want to happen when you're trying to take Henry VII's throne. He's taken to the tower. Where he, he confessed. looked for the boys himself. <laughs> Absolutely, because he was one of them. Um, he confessed that... He was actually just a normal dude who people thought looked so much like Little Richard that they were like, you should pretend to be him, which actually is like a tiny that Scott did a couple weeks ago. <laughs> that is very much uh, Dieter Ricci. And so he was like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And so after his confession, it's kind of interesting how they went about this. Henry VII is pretty much like, just, just be in my court and I can keep an eye on you and everything will be fine. It, it's all right. And so he did go to uh, Henry VII's court and had guards watching him like all the time. Now, uh, Warbeck had a wife. She had to stay with the queen and her ladies. So they actually were not allowed to sleep together because cooties? Mm -hmm. Cooties is probably the reason. It's probably the cooties. And they needed a cootie catcher. Warbeck wasn't liking the life there at all. He wasn't liking being watched all the time. And I think he had other ideas about gaining power again. That's my suspicion. He tried to skedaddle, but he's not good at skedaddling. So he ended up back in the tower. Like, dude, this was your mistake. You had it as good as you were going to get it <laughs> like for a little while, for like eight months. And wasn't it George Plantagenet that he uh, tried to skedaddle with? It was one of... Uh... 
It was a Plantagenet, yeah. Yeah, it was one of the... Uh, I, I don't remember which. Yeah, one of those guys who were old and had a weird name that can be pronounced multiple ways. Well, okay, actually, so he tried to escape. He ended up back in the tower. He tried to escape, and I think from the tower, and I think that second escape attempt was with one of the Plantagenets. So, Plantagenet, have I been pronouncing it and spelling it wrong this whole time? I don't care anymore, honestly. The yes. Only, the only time, I, the only other time I, I've ever heard the name Plantagenet is series one of Black Adder. I mean, I honestly just go French with it because it just feels it feels Frenchy. So I, I go with like just pretend that last T doesn't even exist, and also that would be easier for spelling anyhow. Plant the uh, baguette, and I'm just gonna go with it. So whatever you want. <laughs> Amber's had a lot of rum, uh, so so yeah, he attempted two escapes. The thing about the second escape was that it's 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 kind of or escape attempt. It's kind of theorized that Net was encouraging or somebody was encouraging Warbeck to try the second escape because Henry was just like, I just want to kill this dude. Can someone give me an excuse? Will no one rid me of this troublesome Warbeck? And so they, he tried to escape again and Henry was like, thank you, finally. And he had... Perkin Warbeck executed in 1499. So theories about who he really was. He had the Plantagenet looks. Uh, he had a lot of their facial structure. He didn't have any sort of special knowledge of the family that might convince people that he'd been part of it, that you would think even a nine-year-old would have had. And there are some who believe that maybe he really was little Richard and that whole confession about, Oh, I'm just a normal guy. And people said, I look like him and I should be him was all under duress. And there's other people who think that he could have been an, maybe an illegitimate sibling of the princess. Uh, there weren't any of those. Were there? Well, yes, there were, but there's also the theory that I really like that, uh, since Lambert Simnel had already happened, if he was actually Richard, and he said, no, no, I'm just a regular guy. Just let me work in the thing. I'll turn the spit. I'll get some birds. Everything will be cool, man. And uh, turned out not to work for him. Uh, but <laughs> one of the best things I ever saw was a meme. There's a, a meme that is just, uh, what's it called? Medieval medieval English memory? Uh, medieval English shitposting. And... Uh, <laughs> One of them is the famous portrait of Perkin Warbeck that I fucked around and found out. And it kills me every time. <laughs> he went to Philly, bitch. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. This episode is brought to you by the Hypocritical AF Podcast. The Hypocritical AF Podcast is a weekly audio and video show hosted by Albert Figueroa. Tune in every week for random conversation, random rants, and a wide variety of interviews where the conversations range from hysterical to, appropriately, hypocritical. The Hypocritical AF podcast is unfiltered, on the edge, and 100% organically built from the ground up. New episodes drop every Wednesdays on all streaming platforms, on YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the Hypocritical AF Podcast today. All 
All right, that's what I have on theories before we get to the bones. The bones, guys. We're going to get to the bones of these uh, these dicks. So uh, do you guys have anything more on theories before I move on to bones? I do, but it's it's out there. It's ultra even for me. So Give it to us. So, okay. You have the princes in the tower. They survive. Let's say they survive up until uh, Hank 7 takes over. It's unlikely, but it could happen. They are so far down the food chain that no one's thinking about them because right now, England is fucking terrified of what a French incursion is going to mean. Literally, Henry VII ended the Wars of the Roses. This is like being the guy who stood up and said, hey, we're not going to fight in Afghanistan anymore. Any of the myriad times people have been fighting in Afghanistan. This is an impossible thought. This couldn't happen. And the thing is, at the moment it happened, it was obvious that it had happened. And that never happens. When something is that decisive, it has massive ripples. If the boys were still alive, that's the time to get rid of them. So if Hank the Seven did him in, or Margaret Beaufort, or uh, Buckingham, that would be the time to do it. So in my th- my philosophy here is that they survive up until the end of Richard's reign. Then they are completely expendable. At that point, they do represent a threat but so far down in the list of threats to the English to the English crown that it really wouldn't matter. Any time before then, it had to have been Richard. Uh, but then that's the one time where really the possibilities become myriad and interesting. Also, an f- interesting fact that uh, isn't mentioned a lot is that they have multiple times thought they have found the bones of the children. But I think We're that might be the next that. bit. So that I have jumped ahead. Um, no, you segued. Oh, I've segued. Oh, excellent. Segwayed. I love two wheels. <laughs> <laughs> you segued. All right off a cliff. Perfect. <laughs> so, no. So, that... Too uh, soon, Scott. Too soon. <laughs> <laughs> no, trust me. In, we've had a couple of discoveries that may have been remains. So, in 1674, the bones of two children were found under a staircase in the Tower of London, specifically in the White Tower, which is where the boys were rumored to have been moved to. Those bones were reburied in Westminster Abbey, and they were, at the time, it was like, ah, oh, they're two boys, they're probably around 10 and 13, but you may not know it, but they weren't super scientific in those times. So, that's definitely not 100%. Now, the thing is about these bones, they nearly got tossed out. Everybody was like, oh, this is just more trash, more bones, whatever. But King Charles II found out about the remains, and he was the one who was like, that could have been the princes. Her scraps of cloth, including velvet on the bones. Velvet was restricted to royalty. Those bastards, they can't even let you wear whatever clothes you want, for God's sakes. 
you could have wrapped petite hookers in the velvet if you accidentally killed them. <laughs> How petite? About and the size of a 10 and 13 year old. So, Charles actually was like, so I may have found the two princes. What should I do with them? Obviously, I should make them into a tourist attraction. And he put them on display for tourists for a little while. Dead children, a quarter of Ganda. (laughs) Which is weird. There are dead children everywhere. This is England in the Middle Ages. (laughs) It's not like we haven't done it more recently. I mean, Carl Tanninger, when they found his stuffed body, they're like, fuck it, museum. I know that was a person, but whatever. Shit, why not? Let's just go to the Muter Museum. There's got they've got hundreds of children in jars. It's amazing. And let's remember also, uh, the woman who married Charles Manson so that when he died, she could make his body into a tourist attraction. It still happens today. Only difference is uh, with princes, they are far more attractive because they're younger and will probably stay fresh longer. Anyhow. That inbreeding so... really keeps stuff, you know, stuff from rotting. Because God doesn't want to touch them. <laughs> it's like vacuum sealing. So they, uh, the, bo- the bones were in their uh, home at Westminster Abbey until 1933 when they were exhumed and examined by some preeminent men, such as Westminster Abbey's archivist, uh, an anatomist at the top of this field, and an orthodontist who was the British Dental Association's president... No, don't put that in your resume. Who had created the very first 3D model of facial growth by taking impressions and making models of his son for 15 years. That is something. That is really incredible to me. Could you imagine the hell that is being a British dentist? (laughs) British orthodontist, though. He's looking at these skeletons like, yep, yep, they need braces. Yeah. (laughs) Now, Now, Christy... I'm sure they did an amazing job, checked everything like uh, the uh, obvious causes of death, did some uh, spectralization. Obviously, they must have even checked the gender of these children, right? Absolutely, Chris. They did not. So (laughs) the experts said, all right, these are two boys, 10 and 12. They're missing some teeth, which is a condition that was passed on down through the paternal side. But they did not actually do any testing regarding the sex of the remains. They didn't do any dating tests. So we don't know how old these bones actually are. They could be from really any time in most of history and be prior to the time of their discovery. And even there might not have been just two sets of bones. There might have been more. So it might be three kids. It might be four kids. It might be all the princes that have ever existed in England. We don't know. Could have been all the boys in the Tower of London. Yes. Which is a great gay porn. Yeah. So here's the thing about these. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing about these remains that really gets me if if they are in fact the remains of the princes they're now buried in the lady chapel or you know kept in the lady chapel at Westminster Abbey uh the thing is is that i mentioned earlier it was kind of kind of a little easter egg i dropped uh, elizabeth woodville she had a, a habit of taking sanctuary at westminster abbey and she did that 
at the time that she was pregnant and gave birth to Eddie Five. So if his bones are in fact there, then he is one of the very rare cases where someone uh, was born and buried in the same place. And that is some full circle shit. (laughs) And of course, he's also buried with a vast number of other monarchs, uh, uh, all of whom have the same nose. Uh, If you've ever been to Westminster Abbey and seen all the uh, effigies, they all have the same nose. But what's fascinating about it to me is that at no point in the 80, 90 years-ish since have they gone back and done any other testing. Yeah, me thinks they don't want to. (laughs) And I think one of the good reasons to do the testing isn't necessarily to solve the crime. It is to establish the rightful place of burial of those bones. Yeah, absolutely. To to respect, you know, the the, the whoever died and and left those remains, and and to figure out where they should be. I absolutely agree it's, with you. I but mean, I, it's just history at this point. No one's gonna go to jail for this. It's just history, and it's important that we know the way history goes down. I mean. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, in fairness, royalty doesn't want history to paint it poorly, ever. So if they think that a past king may have done this to the princes, they don't want anyone to know that it was the princes. If you can't prove it, you can't blame it on us. And since it was in our place, no. Don't look at it. The argument against that would be that it's not really something that they would have done is what their family lineage would have done because there's been what I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily keeping count, but since the, uh, since Eddie Four's family was, was on the throne, there's been what three, four families that have, that have taken the throne. So it's not even like in their, in their lineage, except for maybe like a, a an offshoot somewhere where a, you know, a cousin married a cousin and that never happened. Elizabeth the second is the great, 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 I think it's 17 times great granddaughter of Elizabeth Woodville. Might even oh, okay. be, might even be a lot more than that. that. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, all, but, all British monarchs go through Elizabeth Woodville. But that would be a very good reason to prove one way or the other whether those bones, because those are Elizabeth Woodville's children. And so those, are, yeah, that that to me, the, to me, that just is more reason to to make it so. But I think they're just like, and it's history. We're not going to mess with it. Let 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 the commoners wonder. Let the commoners question. So they don't want any smudges on the monarch, though, whether whether it be present yeah. or past. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. Like they they even I I, I finished. I mentioned a, a while ago. I was reading that biography of Queen Victoria, and I finished it. And the author. Uh, she was able to get access after much finagling to the royal archives, and the thing is, is that the when you get access to the royal archives, the the, the royal family now has control over your your end product to the extent that they can choose what you publish that's from the archives. They can't like you get information from other places you have control over that but if it's from the archives they want to see your end product before it even goes to your editor and so the author in in, in the the uh in the end of the book she she had a whole thing about how she did this she got access 
She verified some information that she'd been looking for, and they asked her to take out some things, one thing in particular, that she hadn't necessarily gotten from the archives. She had gotten from uh, a, a former doctor of Queen Victoria's. And so they're kind of breaking the rules and trying to, to, to force their hand here. And she's like, she thinks about it real hard. And she's like, actually, no. I'm published before. So it's not super new. It's just not su super red. And B, I didn't get this information from you. So you have no control. And that information was that Queen Victoria, in addition to some uh, letters that, that, that that doctor had written to his family about Queen Victoria, but the real big information was that Queen Victoria requested that she be buried clutching uh, in a handkerchief the hair of John Brown, who it was speculated was her lover after Prince Albert died. But her, a lot of her diaries were burned by her children in an attempt to clean up her legacy or whatever, and so that's not 100%, but it seems pretty likely. But yeah, so that was something the royal family still, after like a hundred years had passed, they were still like, nah, let's keep that on the down low. Like, even though this is this is kind of ancient history as far as we're concerned so yeah <coughs> you're unmuted uh, but this also speaks to the prime theory the prime whole thing about this entire series uh the john brown thing uh the uh the story here uh, all the way up through megan merkel if you stop marrying commoners everything gets better <laughs> although true story i found out found out megan merkel worked at a yogurt shop that I used to regularly go to down when I was in LA. So it is highly likely I have been served by a princess. Of course you have. You deserve to. You have the weirdest fucking resume. <laughs> you do, Anyone yeah. I've ever met. And it's amazing and wonderful. And I'm so jealous. But like <laughs> the shit that you could write down about things in your life is just like, mm, I did this. Mm -hmm. You want to see my dick? <laughs> you are yeah. way less smug than i am on an average day right there <laughs> <laughs> that ladies and gentlemen is hugo nominated fanzine editor chris garcia mm -hmm. uh, so one last footnote that i have uh about the the bones in 1789 some more remains were found that Jesus, there were how many about. children are buried here I got. I, I just, know, right? No, just I just picture like hundred years from now we do Michael Jackson's house. I just pictured like a bunch <laughs> of workmen going like you and carrying like more bones of children now going like I hate to say it but we're getting really good at this. You know, it's, it's so, all the practice. But actually, these were found by workmen by <laughs> accident. Uh, they were in the chapel at Windsor Castle, and, and they were they accidentally broke into the vault where Eddie Four and Elizabeth Woodville were buried. And or where the remains were. I don't think they're actually buried there, but they are doing some repairs. They accidentally break in. They find two coffins. Inside those coffins, human remains, specifically said to be those of two children. And so they did extensive testing and they went to great lengths to find out. I'm just kidding. Uh, they said, and eh, this is probably nothing. And then they just uh, resealed the tomb and nobody looked into it further. And that was that. So, yeah. Yeah. What's great is that the one of the things that the uh, BBC uh, podcast talked about was that they do a lot of excavation, a lot of archaeology at the uh, at the Tower of London. And they are finding bones all the time dating back to the Iron Age. 
but they did find a pair of bones in a tower and it was a was one of the towers that they were believed to have been held at and it was in a room that was completely inaccessible otherwise uh the only way to actually get in it because it had been i believe walled off uh so the only way to get in it was, or out of it at that point, would have been through a window. And when they looked at what the two bones turned out to be, they were baboons. That literally two baboons had escaped from the royal menagerie and had gotten into the mm. tower. And so <laughs> this brings up my philosophy that maybe they were baboons all along. I think that's a fantastic philosophy. I like it. Imagine, imagine you have a residence so big, two baboons get into it, and you don't realize it until they die. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, anything else on this topic? The, Did we hit everything? The only thing, the only thing I want to add here, this, this, as I was like studying this, a little bit of a creepy, weird, not really creepy, but slightly interesting thing uh, happened to me. Um, I, I remember as a kid learning about the Princes in the Tower from the In Search Of episode, In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy. As far as I can tell, that never happened. I can't find that episode. Uh, I've Googled In Search Of, Princes in the Tower. I cannot find that bloody episode. I'm being Mandela affected. I have I have an answer for you, actually, Scott. Uh, it was not uh, in search of. It was a book. It was the Berenstein Bears, mm. uh, the Princess in the Tower. But the 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 Berenstein Bear kids are actually the Princess in the Tower. And then, uh, yeah, it's it's not, it's actually not pretty. And they they probably took it off the shelves because uh, they didn't want kids reading that shit. But I'm like, like Chris is there going like, yeah, I remember that. No, 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 yeah, no. He's not. No, it does. Uh, it is not. The princes in the tower. Ah, it is Richard the Third. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, because that was the first, my first experience. So uh, I should say this: my entire love of the paranormal and uh, true crime is entirely comes from in search of. Can I give you a um, hug? Like I can. want our beards to inter intermingle and become <laughs> one. Okay, so he might have age on me, but I have Google, and that is actually what I searched out. Like what I searched on Google was in search of. With Richard the Third, because that's what I was thinking it was. So, like, I might not know it, but I put it together. <laughs> yeah, no, Richard the Third was the great one because they had an interview with the uh, head of the Richard the Third Society, whose lines I have stolen verbatim for this. So, we're changing the name of the podcast to Crime Junkie, and uh, it's going to be. Uh... <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here, smirk, and pretend I know what you're talking about, because I don't. You do. It's the reason we put sources in every episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. You can yeah. tell how little okay. I give a shit, I guess. <laughs> I know, yeah. Sometimes, every once in a while, it sneaks out. So. <laughs> So, yes, and if you're not the Patreon type, if you just want to leave a buck on the nightstand, you can do that through PayPal using our email address, oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. You can also, and you definitely should, come check out our social media. We have tons of stuff going on over there. Scott is really just crushing it on Twitter and Facebook at oldtimeycrimey. All kinds of stuff related to the cases we talk about. 
And, you know, I don't even know if it matters anymore, but rate, review, subscribe over on iTunes. At the very least, it makes us happy. And, you know, we, we like being happy. And you can get a nice feeling from knowing that we you've made us happy. So that works. We have merch. Oh, my gosh. The logo T-shirt is live over at uh, oldtimeycrimey.redbubble.com. If that doesn't work for you, just go to the link in the show notes. It's there every time in uh, all capital letters. We have merch. And, yes, I uh, ordered one for myself as well as a sticker and a coffee mug. I did, too. <laughs> gonna start, my back order. I'm going to start working on our Prince Hi. Duck and T-shirt. <laughs> yes. And, Amber, um, you know why I ordered the coffee mug? It's because I noticed when I, the order came in that uh, I had not proofed your coffee mug well enough or the coffee mug itself. And so the, the the logo kind of, I needed to fix it. It was too big. I needed to minimize it so that the, the crimey doesn't go off the cup. So since that was you, uh, I'll give you the, 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 the nice cup I've gotten and you can give me my fuck up cup. <laughs> so we'll trade I'll take the fuck up cup because I am the fuck up cup. <laughs> we'll fight for it. Whoever loses the worst. I'm just, whatever so. comes in the mail. Like I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> so so yes you should definitely check out our merch and we'll have some more stuff up there soon and if you have any merch ideas for us anything you'd like on a t-shirt coffee mug sticker laptop case phone case shower curtain bath mat blanket wall hanging there are a million things on Redbubble. i swear to god it's a little overwhelming at times if you have it if you have Maybe an idea song with my face on the front well okay i don't think they have thongs but I'm sorry. I said everything, and I, I guess one. I'm a liar. <laughs> so <laughs> you can just email us at these aforementioned address, oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. If I have more bullshit, I, as usual, cannot remember and didn't write it down. So what are we doing this week, guys? Let's start with Hugo-nominated fanzine editor Chris Garcia. First of all, before you tell us what you're doing this week, tell us where we can find your shit on the Internet. Hey. Thanks. <laughs> Um, I have. Uh, You're good shit. You're amazing shit. Some of which I have written for. Yes. So uh, I, uh, you can find me on the internet all over the place on all the socials. I am Johnny Eponymous. J o h n n y e p o n y m o u s. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Friendster, MySpace, all of it. Um, There's still MySpace. Can, oh, I'm still on MySpace. Oh Christ, fuck yes, I'm on MySpace. <laughs> Um, it's going to come back. Trust me. Uh, you can also read my zines all over the place. Journey Planet, journeyplanet.weebly.com, the drink tank and claims department, claimsdepartmentzine.weebly.com. Uh, they'll be in the show notes, uh, or I'm not coming back or I'm not signing a release. Um, but also I've got two podcasts of my own that have significant old timey crimey content. Uh, I do one called Short Story Short Podcast with Christy Lynn Baxter. Uh, that's me! Yeah, that's right. Um, and that's every week on Fridays. We take a short story and we talk about it briefly. Uh, and I also do one called Dial-A-Crime, which is where I call someone and tell them a story of a nonviolent true crime nature. The first episode featured a gentleman by the name of Scott... Oh, that son of a bitch. Fuck. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> um, and I'm sure I'll rope Christy and Amber into being on at some point or another. I hear he just pour, pulled porn out at random. 
<laughs> and you know what? It worked with the flow of the show. It really did. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to be recording that is, coming up. Is that up. what you're asking me? <laughs> so anyways, yeah. So you can find me all over the internet. <laughs> and what are you doing this week, Chris? Well, I'm interviewing for jobs. Uh, if you have, if any listeners out there have a job that they're willing to pay me 150 grand for, I will gladly not only do it, but I'll do it with a smile. Also, while wearing a French maid's outfit. I will second that because I am probably getting fired soon. I will kill <laughs> all three of these people for 150 grand a year. That's a lot of money. <laughs> or we could all just dress up in, as French maids yes. and not have to kill anyone. We'll just talk about it instead. I like sure. where your head's at. Mm -hmm. um, but the most important thing I'm doing this week, uh, okay, second most important thing, is uh, I am, so I have been, as I am now unemployed, uh, have been perfecting my recipe for the perfect soup. And I did a mushroom soup that was great. I've done a French onion soup, but now I'm making the step forward, the big step. El step big. I'm doing a split pea and ham soup. Oh. <gasps> the old Linda Don't Blair. you make that face, Amber. You've had weirder things in your mouth. Oh, you know I have. <laughs> um, no, I fucking love to cook, and soup is my jam. However, split no, jam is jam. Soup is soup. She's right. However, split pea soup is the foulest looking thing in the world. No matter what, I go to the exorcist and that's all I can see and taste is somebody else's vomit. But you I see, can't do thing. it. It's but a here's psychological the thing. thing. It's, it overcomes that. It's so tasty. It has a flavor that reminds me of uh, placing a pillow over the mouth and nose of a regal and holding it there until they stop kicking. Uh, it has that sensation to it, and okay. it's so good. So let me kill a regal, and then I will let you know if I'll try your soup. I have some addresses for you. So that sounds like a great week, Chris. Amber, aside from uh, uh, killing royals, uh, what you doing this week? I am working at a job that is trying to lay me off. I am going to school and I am uh, spending most of my time at work looking at Indeed. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised uh, I haven't run into you on there. <laughs> I, I've seen you around. And uh, Scott, what are you doing this week? I'm having another hole in my head installed. Apparently, I've I've got internet my... or <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I've got one more dentist appointment until my work is finally done. I have just been, I've really been trying to like up my game health wise and I'm trying to get like all everything done and taken care of because I feel if I, if, if I end up healthier, I'm going to leave a much better looking corpse. That is the end game, isn't it? Mm -hmm. They have plastic surgery for that in fairness, and that will last way longer than your skin. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I have a really good mortician also who could really hook you up. I don't. I that, wouldn't mind a little trochantering. You're all creepy. Uh, so I this week am also doing health things. I'm back in physical therapy for my back and my hips. So we'll see if we can get that fixed up so that uh, I can 
sit here more comfortably and tell you about murders and possible murders and such. And actually, oh, very exciting. <laughs> I'm going back to the salon on Friday. I'm so excited to get my hair done again. It's been so long. What are you shaking your head at? Keep the gray. You look like Rogue from X-Men, like the hot cartoon version, not the shitty version they did in the movies. You bite I'll your tongue. This, but I'll, 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 I'll have them leave one streak. One streak out that they won't die, and I'll grow that gray out. But yes, I am graying. And I mean, I'm just excited to have some fun with my hair again. Like, it's it's been... Okay. It's been a while. So she's, she's real, like, apparently self conscious about this, but she is graying in the sexiest fucking way, where it's just like the front <laughs> streaks. Like, I want her to talk to me Southern and punch me in the face. Like, I just, I need it to get off. Like, <laughs> oh my God. Talk to me Southern I... and punch me in the face. That sounds like that is not a shower curtain. That's the end of this conversation. I don't know what to do. I swear to God. Here's the thing. Talk to me Southern and punch me in the face. Sounds like an exclamation. A Southern person would make Well, talk to me Southern and punch me in the face. Dip my balls in sour cream and pounce me in a kitchen full of kittens. (laughs) The woo woo really sold that. Actually. Thank you. Indeed. I think this is the perfect time to say to our listeners, thank you for listening to our words of ribaldry. (laughs) As the young king of England was never allowed to hear. And (laughs) this has been an epic episode. Thank you again, Chris, for joining us. It has been an absolute pleasure having you. (laughs) I'm just it has been wonderful to see all your faces again. I am I am pleased as punch that we've all made it this far through this whole epidemic 2020 trying to murder Scott and uh, just having a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time listening to your filthy words. <laughs> he Thank said you. the thing. Absolutely. He said the thing. He said the thing. All right. And we'll see you later, listeners. Bye. I need sleep. <laughs> My sources this week are Ben Johnson on Historic UK, Megan, nope, Malin Solly on Smithsonian Magazine, Rebecca Star Brown, Historic Royal Palaces, Matt Lewis on History Hit, George Northcroft, the Wikipedia article about him, English Monarchs, the uh, .co.uk, H. Magalchi, Adventures of a Tudor Nerd, Matthew Lewis on the History Press, David Crowther on the History of England, Wolverton and District Archaeological and Historical Society, Bruce Haight on British Heritage, and Leanda Delisle on Tudor Times. My sources for this week are Wikipedia, both the article about the princes of In the Tower and Edward IV, and probably a couple more that I'm going to find during the show itself, uh, as I am one to do, independent.co.uk, livescience.com, and hrp.org.uk. My sources this week are historyextra.com, arstechnica.com by Jennifer Ouellette, independent.co.uk by Paul Gallagher, and historicuk.com by Ben Johnson. My sources are the Crowland Chronicles uh, by a bunch of folks back in the 15th century, uh, the Chronicle of London, also by a bunch of folks in the 15th century, uh, 
the usurping the usurpation of Richard III, Dominicus Manicus, and uh, Angelorum Cantatum de Acapatiane Regne Angli de Ricardum Tertium Liberless, uh, translated to English by C.A.J. Armstrong. I think a fucking uh, demon Wikipedia. just appeared in my living room. <laughs> what the fuck, man? Uh, Wikipedia and uh, I just made a whole bunch of stuff up. And the fantastic BBC History Extra podcast, eight episodes on the Princes in the Tower, which featured many of the sources that Christie is using. <laughs>